Hey, welcome all to the Common Good Podcast. Uh, Wednesday, 20th of December. The, I think the darkest of the dark days in the Northern Hemisphere. I think the light is the least available today because isn't it tomorrow that's the solstice? So I think it starts getting a little longer tomorrow or tomorrow's the darkest, one of the two. But anyway. Yeah, I guess tomorrow, maybe. Yeah, yeah tomorrow is the longest night. Longest night is tomorrow. If you can see the sun, you know, that's a nice way to say it, Carrie, that it's just the longest yeah. night, not the shortest day. Look at that. Yes. That's a, that's a, <laughs> that's a sky half full attitude. <laughs> uh, there you go. <laughs> Got to take uh, it where you can get it, you know. <laughs> for sure. Uh, well, welcome. Welcome to the podcast, Carrie and uh, Reverend Dr. David Moore. Um, uh, we often on the start of the podcast chat about the weather partly because um, uh, I like to, and also partly because it's one thing we do all share. Uh, it's the same sky somewhere. So where I'm sitting, looking out my little basement window, I can see a big, beautiful blue sky on the 20th of December and like 40 degrees in Minneapolis. Mm. Uh, how, how are things where you are, Carrie? So ha happily, they are sunny today, a little cooler than 40 degrees, I think, but sunny. And I'm very grateful for that because as we were talking about, my basement was flooded. We had a nor'easter here uh, over the weekend. And with my 100-year-old house, I had three inches of water in my basement. My back is very unhappy after lugging that wet vac up and down the stairs. Ah. <laughs> but uh, it's all dry now, and I am very happy that there is no rain in the sky. <laughs> and, and you are where? New Jersey, New Jersey, Northern New Jersey. So. Northern New Jersey. All right. Well, for yes, it's Jersey very friends. different. It's very different from Southern New Jersey. <laughs> South Jersey. Make that clear. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, we will. We will leave. We will spare you of the Jersey Shore. Uh, uh, Thank you. And David, how are things out there in uh, beautiful California? Um, audible rain. Um, oh. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I woke up a couple of, couple of times la last night hearing rain, you know, just landing on the ground or the pool or wherever. Uh, and it's raining right now and I can hear it and I can wow. see it because looking out a window and uh, we rain is it's not quite as big as money coming from the sky. But here, <laughs> here we where we've had so much drought over the years. Um, we treasure it. Yeah. And, and it's not, not to say it's not disruptive because it is, you know, I mean, when it, especially rain like this. Yeah. And, and you are in Southern California, Santa Barbara. Santa Barbara. Santa Barbara. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's often a reminder to people in Santa Barbara, you do live in a desert, you know, uh, <laughs> it just looks, looks beautiful. Uh, Jim is up in uh, Ventura, California, uh, as uh, always a beautiful, time even when raining in uh, southern california and uh, jim is Alex, only a half hour drive from here so same you two experiencing the same weather yeah. and uh, mm -hmm. alex in tampa bay florida 63 degrees and probably warming up so others when you mm -hmm. pop on just let us know where you are if you're in the chats and uh and how the sky's looking there all right you two uh been excited about this a few weeks ago uh, i was uh able to be on the other side of the table uh, on mm -hmm. your uh, God is not an a-hole podcast. By the way, question for, for me for the start of the day, do you refer to it as God is not an a-hole podcast or God is not an asshole podcast? Well, I'm from Jersey, so cursing is another tongue here, so I just say asshole. <laughs> okay. 
Yeah, so uh, I do too, even though it's not a word that was part of my lexicon and, and you know, until, you know, the past few years. Um, uh, but it really made sense uh, when someone ran it by me. Anyway, um, yeah, uh, w that's the word we, we, we do actually say, God is not an asshole. But on uh, on some outlets like YouTube, YouTube wouldn't allow... Um, and, and, uh, you know, the, uh, some of the, uh, platforms, uh, some of the podcast platforms, you, you either had to put asterisks in yep. or something yep. like that, but YouTube wouldn't even allow asterisks. It had to be a hole. Yeah. Well, I actually thought about it as I was typing the title for this podcast live stream now, because it goes to multiple channels. I was like, they may not let it go or they might mm. censor it or it might change our rating. And I'll say it's just a curious thing, right? Where like David, you saying growing up, that wasn't a part of your your vernacular. Carrie, you're like, well, in New Jersey, I mean, that's not, <laughs> that's not even a not even a question. In some religious traditions or moral traditions, there there ifs yeah. and nots about stuff like that. Hey, I was in and a prim and proper black have... church. Oh yeah, yeah. As a kid, I grew up in the prim and proper, keep all the rules black church. So. Mm. Yeah, you probably couldn't even say suck in your church like something. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. No. Yeah. And, and that seems to be one that is slid in. But now you've got the, uh, the, the, the moral question and the, I don't know, the vernacular question and what's profanity from social mm. uh, platforms. And it's just an interesting thing that used to be easy to say, like, oh, I don't know, I grew up with a bunch of fundamentalists. Then you're like, maybe, you know, I'm not sure the people running. Social media networks well, are fundamentalists, but they have a lot to think it's, about. It's interesting in in having this conversation and talking about the idea of like of censoring and and things like that. Mm -hmm. in, in my experience in the publishing world, as a as a woman who is pub, who is attempting to get published and got published, I had problems using. I had to fight to use curse words, and I often had to. Uh, I definitely had to fight to use. Um, curse words i at one point i wanted to use them in the title um mm -hmm. of of a book um and i was told in unequivocally no that that was not going to be possible and then a white dude came out with a book that had the f word in the title and i just thought that was really interesting that that some people are allowed to lead the way in that in, in, in that realm right and i'm I, like I, I, I have that. Yeah, I have a book sitting on my counter that came as a white elephant Christmas gift called "The Art of Not Giving a F." That's the book. Is, is that the book? That's yeah. the book. I, right? I was a little surprised, actually. I mean, it, it was meant as a shocker at a white elephant gift party in mixed mm -hmm. company and picked mm -hmm. by the oldest grandparents in the room, so it did its job. But yeah, right. no, it is an interesting. It is an interesting thing. I'm trying but to remember. Do they actually spell it out? Um, yeah. No. No. They on. they use an asterisk. Oh, they do. Oh. Okay, I think they use an asterisk. Okay. I think one. so. That good point. Good I'd, point. I'd be interested. Maybe. But now there's a whole plethora of books with those kinds of words in the title, right? Okay. And so I wonder if I were to try to, as a woman, if I were to try to publish that again, traditionally, oh. um, if you know, go th go through the traditional route, if I would be able to get it in there or not. And I also think that that's one of the reasons why I'm really drawn to to self-publishing now because I get to say a little bit more maybe. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. All right. So, so getting beyond the, uh, the shocker title of, you know, God is not an a-hole, the a-hole part being you, you're trying to say something, 
um, with with a title like that. Um, so before we talk about how the two of you met, and I think it's a great story, and I'm really proud of the story, actually. Um, talk about what you're really getting at with having a podcast that frames God, first of all, as not a, a evildoer character, but also in the negative. And I know there's a whole apophatic theory of, or philosophy of theology that, that does that. God is only described in what God is not. I'm not sure that that's what mm. you were doing or not, but if you were, great. Mm. Um, but talk a little bit about the what you're doing with this with this podcast and why it, why, why it matters to you. Well, David, I'm going to defer to you. The, yeah, yeah. The the or you know the origin story is uh, maybe six or seven years ago. Um, we there was a guy Brian who um, was active in our church in Santa Barbara, and his family and himself they it was pretty anti-church, anti-religion because of some experiences they had. Uh, uh, when he was a kid, he was uh, he was born in Guam and he was adopted by a white family and they lived in a um, very conservative neighborhood. Uh, one day woke up to a cross burning on the lawn, which kind of, you know, just kind of said to them, these, these are not my people. Hmm. And so I asked him over coffee one day, why, why do you come to church? He said, I had to find a place where God's not an asshole. And that just stayed with me. I mean, it just wouldn't go away. Um, and I figured, um, you know, there are people, I suppose, who are not going to tune in. Um, and those people are probably not the target audience. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, if it's not solving a problem for someone, that's probably not who your the podcast is yeah. interested in talking to. Okay, Carrie, how about you? I think... Um... I'm, I'm just drawn to my, my own faith journey. And, and I speak about this often on, on the podcast, my own faith journey has expanded far beyond my, my roots in evangelicalism. And, um, and I'm, I'm really good with that. I'm really okay with that. I have found a beautiful spirituality um, that, that really allows me to include the actual experiences with the divine that I've had rather than to shut them away and, call them witchy or evil, like, mm. like many things, um, many, many, uh, spaces would have previously. And so that the idea that we could have a conversation that allows and makes space for this God, that's actually not an asshole because this God is becoming, and this God is expansive and this God is inclusive. Um, and that we could talk about people who are having experiences where they're finding their ways back to church and, and where they they are out in a desert that is bountiful for them, and they are good mm -hmm. there, right? Mm -hmm. I I love, um, I just love the expansiveness of that idea. So yeah. that's what what it is for me. And well, uh, Carrie, you 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 have described God as an experience. Indeed, indeed, absolutely, an experience, a wild one. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, and what what I think is wonderful about that. It's no matter what, where someone has come from, mm -hmm. spirituality it seems to me ought to be, uh, when possible, pursued like that, as mm -hmm. opposed to like, oh, hey, unfortunately, I started in a tradition that, you know, fill in the blank. People do this a lot, and so they're like, so I've been trying to fix that. 
Um, mm-hmm. I was at in a meeting the other day and someone used a phrase, which I used to hear a lot more and I don't hear it as much anymore. So I sort of perked up when I heard it. They said, oh, I consider myself a recovering Catholic. And people mm. sort of, other Catholics sort of winked and smiled and said, we, we get you and kind of giggled. But there was kind of a tone there like, oh, something happened. Now I have to recover from it. That's why I've changed in my spiritual uh, mm. space. I don't know that that's different than assuming, um, Hey, you, a lot of life is starting somewhere and then moving mm. into new, new places and spaces, right? Probably don't yeah. listen to the same music or any of the other things. So it feels like that. I don't know if you're getting at that, that it can be more of a natural positive thing rather than a solving a problem story. I think I think that 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 what the story that you just told I think is is a story that is indicative of the process of of becoming. Um and I think that probably when somebody's re- referring to themselves as a recovering fill in the blank um I think that that's speaking to something that's a very real phenomenon which is religious trauma and that we have to go through. Um I know I have religious trauma. In fact, uh for many people have moved away since since this has happened but for many years i had kind of a sunday i called it a misfit sunday dinner and it was all of my friends who had left our former evangelical church who came not not just to, just for a fellowship just to hang out you know um but i think it's important to acknowledge that there's this space mm-hmm. that a lot of people have to move through where they heal and hopefully they don't hopefully we we don't get stuck there and i will be honest with you doug you've had more impact on me than maybe you know because it was uh a night the same week that david and i met uh we i you had philip clayton come um and speak uh and i was sitting with with him and told him some of my experiences that i'd had with the divine and he said i said well what do i what am i supposed to do with that and he said just let it be true and that in that instance, when he said, just let it be true, I was like, I can do that. <laughs> I can oh, just yeah, let it be nice. true, right? Oh. And I, that freed me up to not only uh, extract all of those things that from in my faith story that I didn't want there, like like patriarchy and legalism and, and all of those kinds of things, and replace it with those actual experiential uh, instances that I'd had with the divine and once I was able to do, to do that, my faith just expanded in in exponential ways. So mm. wonderful! It's amazing where where you can go when you when you know you have permission when you grant right? yourself permission. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, true. David, that that's an interesting phrase. Like the little uh, the two ways that someone could hear that. The first way you said it when you have permission, and then when you said when you grant yourself permission. It mm-hmm. seems like there's something in that for you, like the difference between an external entity giving you permission and you recognizing that you've set your own limitations or boundaries. Is is that is that the case? Do you, do you think about it like that? Yeah. You know, Carrie knows that uh, um, a couple of weeks ago I was interviewed uh, by, of all things, BYU Radio about our podcast. Uh, apparently some people were listening to it. Um, and the last question that I got was, um, how do you know when God is leading you? How do you know when God is speaking to you? And I said, I've come to realize that God's voice sounds like mine. (laughs) 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 And, you know, when it crosses a line into somebody else's voice, I know that 
not that's probably not god um mm -hmm. you know the divine the divine uh wants us all to recognize our own divinity yeah. And it is our alignment with reality and with the cosmos that liberates us. Yeah, man, dude, that, that is, that's part of the reason I stay in the Christian tradition for all the other things is the Christian tradition. And this is a great little, you know, time of the year to remind ourselves of this is, is to see Jesus, not as a miraculous exception, but as a marvelous mm -hmm. rule for humanity. Thank and the you. things that we say Happily. and the things that we say about Jesus, which are great. And a lot of people want to attribute a lot of things. They're son of, you know, child of God, uh, uh, you know, fully God, fully human, all this kind of stuff. Uh, you, you're, you're faced with the crossroads of what kind of Christianity you're going to follow. Uh, the, the, what I think mm -hmm. is the one that's revealed in Bible uh, scripture uh, teachings, which has Jesus as the miraculous uh, the, or sorry, is the, is the marvelous rule or the one that you get in a lot of theologies, which is the miraculous exception. And then you're into a whole other, into a whole other story. And it's that piece of understanding humanity that yeah. keeps me in. And I recognize that's precisely the reason other people leave Christianity, right? They've been, they've been given mm -hmm. a story in which human flourishing and human life is just not the point of Christianity. Mm -hmm. The happiness of God mm -hmm. is the point of Christianity, right? There's even right. some doctrine. A psychopathic that's, God, a psychopathic God. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. So, so that, that's what I wanted to ask both of you about. Did you each grow up in a tradition where you've now looked and said, the way God was described was not as loving, nurturer, care, caregiver, provider, so on and so forth, but rather as something to be pleased, feared, uh, I don't know. The, there, there's some, there's something, I think it's in the Westminster catechism, which comes from a particular reform tradition, which is the purpose of man is to bring glory to God forever. Something phrasing, something mm. like and, that. And, like, and enjoy him forever. Him. And enjoy him forever. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's the, that's the point, <laughs> which mm -hmm. I don't know. Fine. But that doesn't fit most moments of every day. That doesn't seem like a human flourishing thing. And certainly doesn't seem to match the biblical story as I've, as yeah. I've come, come to read it. So, so for me, what's what's interesting as I'm thinking about my childhood experiences is that the earliest experience, one of my earliest memories that I can have is a deeply spiritual one and one that maybe a lot of people won't believe, but it's so deeply uh, embedded in me that every I think about it and I can't, I get automatically get teary eyed. And that is that I was about three years old and I was I was uh, playing on the side of my road of my house on on this road that was a dead end, and it was this beautiful sunshiny day. And the light that was next to me began to condense and got stronger and brighter and more golden, and it was beautiful. And then, in my the only way that I can describe it is in my mind's eye as a child, I, I remember looking down and seeing next to me big sandaled feet, and in that moment, a butterfly landed on my nose. Hello. And it was, and I sat there for a minute and I was like, oh my gosh. And I just remember feeling and knowing a presence that um, we would think of as Jesus, right? And that, and I remember him saying to me, I choose you, you are mine and I am yours. And it was, it was this beautiful um, 
experience of absolute unconditional love. There was nothing, it didn't matter that my knees had dirt all over them and my hair was a mess. It was complete and unconditional love and there was nothing that I needed to do and there was belonging and presence in that in that moment. And maybe about two years later, my mom took me to the local Methodist church. And I remember seeing the quintessential white Jesus picture hanging on the wall. And I was like, wow, I don't know who that guy is. I, I, but I really hope he starts feeling better soon because he looks really sad. And that is so not the experience yeah, that yeah, I yeah. had with the divine, right? And, um, and so that led me on a pathway. I can tell you that my experiences in that church as a child were, were nothing close to welcoming or accepting. Or they, I remember a lot of rejection. I remember a lot of never feeling like I was good enough. I remember never feeling like I fit in. And then we didn't, we stopped going there. And then I followed a boy to a Baptist, Southern Baptist church in New York city and that in the, my twenties and that entered me into evangelicalism. So that doesn't really align with those other experiences that I was having with the divine on the other side. Yeah. When, when you think Carrie about your own, like, um, uh, root, root roots is not really the word I want, but I'm going to use it anyway. Your own roots of spirituality. Is it that experience on the side of the road? Is it that church you're at? Is it the place you want no. to feel? It's that. It was that that moment with Jesus. And I want I want to be clear that when I say that he's he, it was like he was saying, "I choose you." It wasn't like I'm anything special, and yet I'm incredibly special, right? It, but it's not like I'm special over any other person that I'm like one of 144,000 or something like that's not what I'm saying. It was a matter of come here, you are mine and I'm yours. We belong together and this is a beautiful a beautiful uh symbiotic thing that is beyond language. I can't really explain it. It's just I, but I have chills thinking about it again mm. that mm. it was one yeah, of I the thought... most joyful moments of my life. I thought you were special. I mean, when you agreed to, uh, you, you, you expressed an interest in being a co-host. Uh, you know, <laughs> you're so sweet. You always make me feel like this is. So, I'm such. Uh, it's such an honor and a privilege to do this work with you, David. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. I, I really do want to talk to you both about the process of the podcast, how it all came together. But can we can we hold on this one for another minute? Because I have another yeah. thing too. I'm just interested in your your takes uh, on. Um, because you, you, oh, oh, you, are you gonna? You know, I didn't weigh in on uh, the beginning. How I, you know where I came? You know, my religious roots. Yeah, that's uh, that. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted. To, I wanted to okay. see David if you you talk about that. Yeah, you know, my my parents were part of the Great Migration, and so something that churches around the country, black churches around the country, have in common is essentially um, they were and, and maybe still are uh, to some extent um, colonies of the South uh, culturally. And so, you know, I mean, my, my mom and dad, they, they, they left North Carolina because, you know, in this country that one, uh, one time weekly, somebody was being lynched. So it was, uh, you know, it was a, I, I actually equate it to the Christmas story where Jesus was run out okay. of town. You know, I mean, I mean, his parents yep, uh, were for, forced migration. Um, and, you know, I find solace in that story at that in that way. But, uh, you know, and the reason I bring that up is because uh, the South 
the South had lots of strictures, right? Um, we, we didn't have permission, freedom of movement. And that translated into our church experience where our parents were way stricter uh, because in their, in their growing up, I mean, you know, I grew up going to school with, with white kids and my parents never had that experience. Uh, so, uh, for them, for, you know, for, for us, it seemed like we had way more, um, I guess we pushed the limits as far as they're concerned, because they're trying to, in their mind, they're trying to protect us, uh, mm. you know, from, from threats and, and some of those threats remained, but some of them weren't the same. They manifested mm. differently. And so therefore, uh, you know, we, our churches were like that. Our churches had, you know, often had lots of rules. Did, um, David, was you, was your church experience then one where God was seen as protector provider narrative, or was it seen as God is the threat that the religion needs to give you protection from? Mm. I would say all of that, except probably more importantly, church was a source of community, a reason to be in community, mm -hmm. you know, a reason to in this br brave new world that people like my parents were, were living in, uh, a reason to come together and to have something in common with people, yeah. which again, the kids may not have, may not have had that in common with the parents. Uh -huh. mm. Interesting. Yeah, right on. Yeah, I bring it up because when you when you use that that Christmas story, which, which is an, a crucial part, especially I think in the book of Matthew, a, a really important part of of setting up the the introduction of Jesus's life, it, it is he's the promised one from God, and then Herod wants to kill him, so he has to leave to be protected to goes to, goes to Egypt, so follows the mosaic story and then comes and then comes back and is still under threat and God is the one who's going to protect him God is the one Jesus cries out to at the end of his life on the cross and it's people who are trying to kill him and then theology Christian theology inverts all of that and says God is the one who's after you God is the one who will eternally kill you and we are the ones who are going to save you and it is just stunning to me because I wasn't raised in that tradition. And I would hear that stuff and just be like, this is Freaky Friday with you people around here where you think <laughs> that God, the judgment of God, you know, street preacher kind of thing. But it, it it's in all kinds of traditions, right, where mm -hmm. God is the judge that's coming. And I don't know how we rid ourselves of it because it seems to me, and this is what I want to ask each of you, it seems to me human beings like that story that God is the ultimate one we need to fear more than God is the protector of us in communities from those of us who want to harm one another. We mm. tend to like people believe that God's out to get you story easier than they believe uh, God is the protector. And so I'm just wondering if, I mean, that's, that's right around my head. Every Christmas it really gets stirred up in me and I, I can mm. hardly sing Christmas songs because they just reinforce with, some very nice little catchy melodies, ideas that really need to be um, done away with. But do, do you um, do you have any thoughts on on any of that? Well, yeah. go ahead, David. Well, <laughs> okay. you know what I'm thinking of is um, the uh, the 
I'm looking at, at what Edward's writing there. Uh, yeah, I get that too, definitely. Um, but I think that there, there, that God was that you just described was part of the motif, but probably God as protector and redeemer was a huge part too, mm -hmm. uh, as, you know, as well. And I'm what I'm thinking of right now is a, a few years ago. Um, there was a young man by the name of Stefan Clark in the city of Sacramento who was shot and killed by Sacramento police uh, in his grandmother's backyard. And uh, it just so happened that his funeral was uh, was streamed by NBC and other outlets. And I remember it happened, the funeral happened on Good Friday. Mm -hmm. I was scheduled to go participate in a community Good Friday service. But it was, it was the the Stefan Clark's funeral was happening. I started an hour before that one, and I was so gripped by what I was streaming that I missed most of the one that was uh, in town local. Because for me, that was the Good Friday service. Yeah, there you go. That 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 because it was the story. It was it was the same story as Jesus in in, in a sense, um, and you know, so, uh, put down by the state. And it was such a powerful celebration of life. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, we hear that term used a lot, but this was, I mean, the music and the speeches, um, uh, um, Al Sharpton was there, you know, he always has a compelling uh, presentation. So all of this was going on, I'm thinking, and I'm getting ready to leave this to go to the other Good Friday service, which is always really pre predictable, you know, in terms of how it plays out. Um, and so that's the God that that um, that I'm familiar with. I, I'm I, I'm familiar with the God who not only imposes lots of rules, uh, and you know, in, in time I find out that I don't need those rules. But at the same time, God is a protector. God is a defender. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So my, you know, everything that you you just described, Doug, is this this idea that i wholeheartedly reject which is this idea of this psychopathic god a, a god that requires you know is going to first of all be incredibly manipulative and gaslighty and create something call it good but then go mm, not so much and i'm going to now require a blood sacrifice and oh wait i'm going to then send my own child as that blood sacrifice after modeling that request in Abraham and in the Abraham and Isaac story, right? Like it's also it's also terrifying. And I think it's reflective of of probably the worst sides of humanity that we show ourselves, that we show each other, right? And it's funny, I have a story. There's a, a person, a colleague, not a friend, but a colleague of mine who for a while was running a an Instagram um platform i don't know identity or whatever um that was aligning with christianity and communism so okay that's interesting right um and what they said what this platform said though was that in order to have true revolution we require bloodshed and was almost like promoting the idea that we must martyr ourselves or, or we must have the, the shedding of blood in order to have true revolution. And my initial immediate and continued response to that is that that is just the same old 
status quo paradigm that white patriarchy has gotten us that the only way that we can revolutionize every anything is in order is to shed the blood of of humanity and that's not revolution that's not a revolutionary idea at all in my opinion that's not a revolutionary idea a revolutionary idea is an idea in which all of humanity has, as John Frankie says, one of my favorite teachers, John Frankie says a, a revolutionary idea is a, a, that the realm of God is a place where everyone has enough and no one needs to be afraid. That's a revolutionary idea. Mm -hmm. And to do that without bloodshed is mm -hmm. a revolutionary idea. And so what in the Jesus story can we look to that points us in a, di in a different direction from what the cross in, I wrote a, an article in which I talked about what the cross actually was, was a condemnation of, of us, of what we yeah. do to each other, right? Those arms open, it wasn't some beautiful quote, beautiful sacrifice to a psychopathic God. It was a condemnation of, of and an exploration of what we do to each other as human beings. And then we can talk about the fact that only the women women were willing to take a look at that, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right, yeah. But it's it's <laughs> it's playing with gender for sure and trying to yeah. trying to push us forward. Well, look, I could talk about this with you all day. It's probably why I wanted to have you on here. I wish we could, but I also want to talk about some other things in the sort of the, mm -hmm. the case of our hour. But some of our regular folks in our chat, um, we get to know each other. We have a bunch of people that are that are fairly regular. Um, Yabitz says. Um, my faith is kind of leading me toward Judaism. Yet Yabetz is in um, Georgia. And then Jim says, hey, I'm studying to convert to Judaism right now myself. And then Kimberly jumps in and says, hey, I'm a part of a stoic group. We ought to get a little thing together. Um, and, and part of the reason I, that I bring this up is I think that is such a healthy, positive, human, flourishing project, right? Where people are saying, I'm developing more and more of the spiritual processes that I have available to me and I feel freed to do that. Um, yeah. and, and it doesn't always have to be only to fix a problem. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but as human beings, we're really good problem solvers and pattern recognizers and stuff. So we tend to see a change in pattern that we think, is that to address a problem that you have? Mm -hmm. And sometimes it is, mm -hmm. but it doesn't have to be. If we develop a process of openness and continuous learning, then when we're in a problem, we can utilize that process of continuous learning and development to help address the problem, as opposed to let's solve the problem by doing something bizarre and unusual, right? Mm -hmm. that's, that's, the subtle, that's the subtle difference is to develop the skills that you are, can utilize later, as opposed to having to do something unusual in order to solve for this for this particular problem um it's the process of becoming it's the process of becoming and again i go i go back to one of the classes that that i had when i was doing my mdiv and there was a rabbi who was a guest speaker i don't remember his name and he told us that in the in the process or in the in genesis the scripture that is normally translated i am that i am that's actually a horrible translation and that there is no actual real act really accurate tr translation of that but a closer translation would be something along the lines of i will become all that i have yet to become speaking to a god that is becoming right moving becoming expanding and i love that and that has changed the way that i view the divine ever since 
Okay, so Carrie, <clears throat> when you say that to somebody, right? Because I'm sure it has stuck with you, and you you've you've internalized it to the point <clears throat> you could access it here, which mm -hmm. makes me guess you've been able to share that with others. When you say that to other people, like, hey, that mm -hmm. that I am what I am is one way of thinking about it, but there's this other way. I'm becoming that which I will ultimately become. That's how do how do people tend to respond? Um, like, are they happier with, hey, I want a stable, consistent God that just is in a world mm -hmm. of chaos, or I want God as a partner in the development of the of experience? How 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 do people? I, I know there's that, a lot of answers, but uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's a great question. I think because of the fact that these days I am. Uh, hanging out with mostly people who are post-evangelical and are themselves experiencing an expansive faith, that I always see uh, their faces kind of light up and they go, oh, that's, that's exciting to me. I have yeah. a feeling, though, that if I were to walk back into my old church and say that to some of the people that I used to work with there, that the, the responses might be a little different, there, that there might be some pushback about, but God always stays the same. God is consistent. God right. is never changing, right? Um, because that, if you do take that scripture and that and that as truth, what I what that rabbi taught us, then that really does kind of mess with the whole foundation yeah. of your faith moving mm -hmm. forward, mm -hmm. right? If you are of that person of that ilk that says God is never changing, that kind of messes with that. Yeah, it's fundamentally. Uh, I mean, it's it's one of those left turn, right turn moments, right? 100%. Um, and you might, you know, f fortunately, we live on something close to a round globe. So if you just keep going, you might come back to the same spot. <laughs> you know? <But> it's, a <laughs> exactly. long, it's a long way around the long way around the, right. the horn for uh, for a lot of people. Okay, can we talk a little bit about uh, your backgrounds, you coming together? What's it like doing a podcast in two different coasts? Uh, people with mm -hmm. two different perspectives and, and all the rest of that? All right. So so you're both accomplished um, uh, uh, people in academia, in ministry, and in, in uh, publishing. Uh, David, give us, give us a quick, quick reminder of your extensive pedigree, because sometimes people will see on the screen, it says Reverend David Moore. And when I do that, it says Dr. David Moore. And I don't have one that brings the two together into the Reverend Doctor. But uh, give, us, get, give us the history of your, uh, your, your work and your writing and all that stuff, uh, so people get a frame. And then Carrie will do the same with you, and I want to talk about that with you too. Well, uh, you know, I, I like to talk about the title of my doctoral dissertation, um, at University of South Africa. Um, the title is How the Process of Doctrinal Standardization During the Later Roman Empire Relates to Christian Triumphalism. Um, you know, you know, I've always been drawn to where church and state began to try to intersect, um, mm -hmm. where where faith was uh, Christianity was co-opted, and immediately create uh, push some people on uh, onto the margins, um, and you know, you hear about in Christian history in seminaries, you'll read about the great persecution of the second. Uh, century. And you won't hear that when Christians came to power, they actually killed more people, you know, killed heterodox um, Christians, killed plenty of Jews. Um, 
and you know just anybody who didn't align themselves with the political uh hegemony of, of a particular strand of christianity mm -hmm, mm -hmm. all right so david that title uh I, I, is awesome i've tried to mm -hmm. tried to lock it in as you were saying it the the story you're trying to address in that title is that in the third century the 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 Christian church became wedded with the Constantine, Constantinian, Constantine's Rome. And one of the things Constantine said was, we can't have all these variants in Christianity. If it's going to be the official religion around here, we got to have some answers to important things because at the time there were so many versions. So the creation of what we often call creedal Christianity or the creeds, like the Apostles' Creed, that people are like, oh, let's just hold to something really old. Let's go with the Apostles' Creed. Well, that was created in the 3rd century, 3rd and 4th century, in order to keep people out. So you had to say, like, on all these questions, is there an answer? Is that right? Is that what you were talking about That's... in that first part of this, the standard? is? Yeah. Will you say the name of the dissertation again, just so it's music to our ears? <laughs> How the process of doctrinal standardization okay. in the later Roman Empire relates to Christian triumphalism. So th there's, and, and it's just important that people recognize that the reason creeds came into being was to bring clarity on points for which the Christian church to that point had a lot of difference. And it was to decide who is in and who's out, who's true yeah. and who's, who's not. It wasn't to open up the mind. It was to lock in the system to be clear. They, critiquing whatever reasons they had for this, that's what it would did, and that's what it continues to do. So if you've ever mm -hmm. sat in church and been like, I don't think I can say those words in that creed, well, you're in good company. It was put together <laughs> to, to differentiate those who could say the words in good, good conscience and those who couldn't. And but it was they, intentionally anti-Judaic. That was the thing they were trying to rid out, right, is the, is the Jewish, Jewish narrative. So then you're pulling that forward and saying that same process, that same way of approaching became something that became a part, uh, was, was um, re-engaged in a, in a white power and in a Western power domination Absolutely. narrative. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. When did you, okay, so you spent some number of months, years working on all the words to go in the dissertation to make the committee satisfied. But when did that idea first strike you that, hang on a minute, these two things are actually part of the same lineage. They're not two separate ac uh, times in history. You know, they're not sitting, uh, running parallel to each other. They're actually in, in, in the same flow. Actually, I think, uh, you know, it was the seeds of it were always in me, but going to an evangelical master's program just drove me nuts. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was yeah. it? Was, was it a couple of things? Was it the whole thing? What, do you remember? Was there a moment where you're just like, come on now? You know, the syllabus, you know, I read, <laughs> I began to read more books that were not on the syllabus. So, I mean, it was, uh -huh. it ended up being a positive experience ultimately. I just had to do more work than other people in my in my classes um, because I did I, I came to understand that uh, 
you know, this is a Western supremacy thing happening here. And, and uh, you know, and I wanted to research it. Dude, I, I, in, okay, so in 1992, mm -hmm. uh, I finished my seminary degree. And in the master's program that I did, you, you had to write a big statement, big paper statement. And I remember sitting with my advisor and saying, look, there's a thing I could write about what I think and believe and feel. And he's like, that's not going to grant you a degree. <laughs> if you say, I'm like, well, these are the things I've come to understand while I was in this four year process. And they're like, that's not the thing. So I had to write one, which was right on the edge of being not honest in the sense that it's, um, not, I, I found every way I could to frame sentences that didn't say, this is what I believe, but a way for me to mm. say, this is what I believe this institution believes about these things. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And I, I felt okay about it, but I bring it up right now because when you started to say that, I had this sick feeling in my stomach. Like, I think that was one of the, I think that was the start of here's how you succeed in this industry. Mm -hmm. be profoundly yep. dishonest from the start <laughs> yep and man, participate I, in mental machinations <laughs> yes it was just something else um was your doctoral prog uh, uh project in some ways a way to say more than i mean is that partly what it did for you and is that partly why why you did it if it was what it, what it did for you oh absolutely i you know in fact the reason i, I it just things worked out. Um, one of my, one of my colleagues uh, at McCormick Theological Seminary, David Daniels, mm -hmm. he had mentored uh, the department head uh, for faith and spirituality at the University of South Africa, which is a state school. So it didn't have doc, you know, the doctrinal things that you have in seminary, and. Uh, he said, I can, uh, I'll see if uh, my mentee uh, will be your advisor. Hmm. Yeah. And so that, you know, it worked out that I did not, I, I was not in a religious institution when I wrote it. Okay. Wow. Love it. Okay. Carrie, uh, let's, okay. Well, David, you, you also now, um, uh, you, you, you write for public uh, uh, popular audiences and you pastor in, in a, in a faith community. Yeah. Beloved Community Church in Santa Barbara. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, not just in Santa Barbara, because we're on Zoom and, and uh, yeah, people are tuning in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my, my joke is worldwide and maybe even on the space station because they get the internet <laughs> there. So they you never know. Uh, that's our, it's at least going to go cool. to low, low Earth orbit. Uh, uh, all right, Carrie, uh, give us your pedigree background. And then I want to talk about the two of you coming together in this. Sure. So I started, I guess the journey for me really starts with the blog that I was writing called Jersey Girl Jesus, because that kind of started it all that was on Patheos. And um, that was kind of a launching pad for a lot of things, um, including going to seminary, because I had two things that happened um, as a result of that, of writing that blog. On the one hand, I had um, moms of trans kids and members of the LGBTQ community coming to me and writing, sending me emails saying, you know, thank you so much for writing um, what you're writing and doing this work. And then uh, on the other hand, I was getting absolute vitriolic hate mail from predominantly white Christian men. Anytime I would talk about the Take a Knee movement, anytime I would talk about women's rights or any kind of LGBTQ 
dignity. Thankfully, all that's changed. All that's changed, right, Carrie? Oh, completely. Yeah, that never <laughs> happens anymore, ever. That um, death threats galore, you know, it's all good. Um, but so that was what made me decide I needed to go to seminary because I felt like I needed to know what I was doing. As I was, I felt, I, I realized that I was doing a sort of ministry and I was like, wow. But it took me a while um, to find a program um, that actually fit, you know, a seminary that would fit and align with my, with my mores. I actually started at a different one, but they required me to sign an anti-LGBTQ statement. So I had to drop out. Um, and so I waited, I, it was another year before I found Christian Theological Seminary and the, the program that um, I entered there. And, um, and then while I was in seminary, completing my master's degree, uh, an editor was reading my blog, apparently, and she reached out and invited me to submit a book proposal, which was such an honor and um, to be able to, to have that offered to me. I know that so many writers would dream of something like that happening and, and it happened to me. So I'm deeply blessed and lucky for that. And um, I said, well, yeah, I would love to. I would love to to submit a book proposal. What do you, did you have a specific topic? And she said, not particularly. I said, well, most of the stuff that tends to get the most traction is stuff that I was writing about race at the time. It was around 2019. And she goes, yeah, that's kind of what we were thinking. So that's how Good White Racist came into being. Which is and, the title um, of your book. Yes, that's the title Good of my White book. Racist. And and then um, as that came out um, in March of 2020. And as we all know, in May, um, the murder of George Floyd happened. And COVID was also happening. And those two things kind of created um, this this storm in which I white churches all over the country were like, Oh, we need to be talking about this. We need to be paying attention. And so I was able to drop in via zoom to hundreds of churches and do book clubs because they were engaging in the book, which kind of led to me understanding that churches as organizations had very consistent questions about how to do this work and how to do it well and um, effectively. And that led to the second book, which is called Wait, Is This Racist? A guide, which is a guide specifically for churches. Um, and so, yeah, that that's essentially my, my publishing. And now I'm getting to podcast with David, which is, um, and, and it's all related. <laughs> which is quite lovely. All right, so can, yeah. can I tell my version of the origin story of the two, do of, it. You, of, the two of you coming <laughs> together? Um, okay. And I, th it's, it, I think it's really great because it was, mm -hmm. Um, I'll tell the story and then why, why I think it was great. Uh, I'd put together a project um, called an Open MDiv, which was designed for people seeking a degree program. And we partnered with Christian Theological Seminary, which was a tremendous partnership at the start of that, of that program, where they would offer a degree, a Master's of Divinity degree, and also people could take this program who weren't seeking a degree, but they wanted seminary level learning. And rather than having one faculty that was consistent, we I would use the network of people that I knew, uh, David and Carrie, as you mentioned, Philip Clayton and uh, uh, Monica uh, Coleman, Coleman. You know, just just thinking about the uh, Barry Taylor, just the event that, the, that you guys all that you all met at. And mm -hmm. like, bring these people in to be the instructors because they're all world-class and not all of them are teaching at a place and you utilize that network as the, as the instructors. So as Carrie, you remember, David, you do too. We had events sometimes in California. We had them in Minneapolis. We had them in 
in uh, in New York, uh, New York, in North, North Carolina. Carolina. Yeah, uh, maybe Florida. I can't remember. But like you would travel, so everyone could stay at home. You'd travel for a week, do a week long intensive, and the program was built that way. But the point of it, my hope of it, was that the network of instructors, the network of students, would find each other, and people would start to build this large and growing network which was different than the experience that I had in seminary and a lot of people do where you end up inside one tradition and you dig one very deep hole, which is one good way to do it, but you almost it's almost like a mine shaft that just goes way down deep and everyone's in the same flow. And we were trying to build something that crossed regions and boundaries and traditions and, 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 and faiths and so it was, you know, uh, just a different way of organizing. It was crowdsourced organizing through network theory, blah, 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 right? All this. Mm -hmm. But the hope of it was that people would meet each other, both students and faculty members and, uh, and students and faculty, and they'd make stuff happen. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, you two did it. So that's why I say uh, <laughs> I, I it's so great. I know other people did too, but you two also over distance, like you didn't do it just because, hey, it's easy. We grabbed coffee four or five times and then, you know, yeah. you're, in, you're in two different states. You're in two different experiences. You care about similar things. Otherwise, shouldn't even know each other. Right. And yet right. you've you said not just, hey, thanks for that great experience, but could we collaborate and work together? So the, mm -hmm. I think it's great. The piece of the story I don't know is how did it actually develop? Like from the time you met and then kept up or whatever, like how did it go? And how, then since you decided to do a podcast together, how is it going doing? Do, do yeah. David, do you want you to take, go, go ahead? Okay. okay. So, um, we, we became Facebook friends, I think right after that, that class. So we just kind of stayed Facebook friends. And one thing I will, I will say this one thing that I always appreciated, I think we both just kind of hovered, you know, checking each other out on, you know, like we were definitely engaging with each other's um, posts and material. And one thing that I really appreciate, David, and I, I've never told you this, but um, there were times, a few times, um, one in particular, where I'm thinking about something where I posted something that was a very typical experience that many women have with something patriarchal. And another man came on and he kind of downplayed it. He kind of said, oh, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do stuff like, don't respond. Don't let it get to you like that. You're just like feeding and kind of, you know, telling me I shouldn't feel the way I feel. And David, You're being emotional. <laughs> yes, you know, reactive, those things that, you know, women tend to do, right? But David came on and just so kindly kind of said, well, the way I prefer to respond to something like this is like this. And he, the, the way that he responded to this man allowed this man to maintain his dignity, to, you know, not go away feeling horrible about himself. And also, I felt like I had been stood up for. And it was a beautiful moment and I will never forget it. And um, I've always wow. appreciated David for that. Yeah. So I know, I know I should have told you that story, but it was just always <laughs> something in the back of my mind. And so one day he posted something about wanting a, a, to do a podcast and looking for a co-host and I responded. And if I'm being completely honest, when I responded, I, I was kind of like, I'm not sure if I know what I'm getting into. I don't know if I, <laughs> I don't know if I'm actually like ready for this, but yeah, it sounds really cool. Let's talk, you know? And um and I kind of had to say straight up to David, I'm like, listen, don't, don't ask me to do any kind of admin because I will ruin everything. Like I will, 
<laughs> I will, if I have to be the person to do the show notes, I will mess it up. Like I can't do that. Um, and he was very gracious and allows me to just to come on and talk. And I do do some admin again due to David's graciousness. Um, and do you, yeah. do, you do a really good job too. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And the conversations that we've had have just been so life-giving. They've been so life-giving. And, um, and so it's just an honor and a privilege to be able to, to do this work with David and so how, how do you do it like what is the flow what is the style how do you do you have a regular recording schedule um I don't know just just talk about what what you do and how you do it David well you know it's not our day job so uh, we have right. to have you know some you know some guidelines uh schedule wise so generally we meet uh online at Tuesday, on Tuesdays once a week um, mm -hmm. at 9 a.m. my time, noon Carrie's time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, Carrie mentioned how she used to have people over, uh, you know, disaffected people. You know, one of the beautiful things, and these are not all people with an evangelical background. Uh, many of them are, though. Um, many of them are LGBTQ. Um, um, you know, many of them are, um, you know, uh, Bill Pot, you know, Black, uh, Latino, other people of color, um, Indigenous, and we've had all of that. I mean, <laughs> that spectrum and more. Um, and I was thinking about when you used to have people over um, who were disaffected. The thing that stands out with, with me all of these guests, we've been doing it once a week since mid-May. No, nobody is resentful. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's not a it's not a time for people to come on and just pour something acidic out on other people. People are really they've had horrible experiences, but they're just glad to be there and be in a conversation with a couple of people who are interested in their story. And mm -hmm. I, to me, that's one of the loveliest pieces of all of this yeah i do think that they are while they are not while they tend to not be angry like you said david they're but they're also like but i'm gonna i'm gonna tell the truth yes. i am gonna tell the truth right i'm gonna and i'm gonna tell the truth i'm not gonna necessarily water down the truth i'm gonna speak clearly and plainly about what has oh, yeah. what has happened to me and my experience right mm -hmm. and i think that that's beautiful too because i think that speaks to the fact that they in themselves are feeling an embodied safety and an embodied, um, they're having an embodied experience that has moved beyond their ex the, the experiences of trauma that they've had um, into something more beautiful. So yeah. I think that's that's a gorgeous thing. Yeah, I mean, it's the whole assholery of it all. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they, it's like, yeah, uh, you know, we accept, we acknowledge that's, that's what we were dealing with to a great extent. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that, that's insightful. That's one of the ramifications of thinking God's an asshole is people tend to take their clues for what appropriate human behavior is from their sense of the divine, however they mm -hmm. put that together, if they have a sense of the divine. So if right. you see God as uh, an asshole, you, you'll be like, well, hey, I'm going to hold off on letting out all my real God rage here. But at mm -hmm. some point, if it's too much, then I, it's not only excusable, it's of divine necessity that I act like that. Right. Right. This That's is the right. problem with hell. If you tell people 
that the ultimate divine force in the cosmos wants to punish eternally or eternally damn human beings in consciousness and then tell people to love your neighbor and Mm -hmm. bless those who persecute you. You know, as my friend Jay Baker says, he's like, it's almost like you have to tell, you know, God to follow what Jesus was teaching. If you believe that kind of, that kind of a, of of a theory. And so people, people really do put this stuff, whether it's conscious or subconscious or however it comes out. And so it, it, there's real human imp- like in some ways you can say like just skip theology who cares mm-hmm. but man I, i'm around non-religious people all the time and they'll even have a sense whether they def- uh, apply it to god or to karma or whatever <laughs> that somewhere mm-hmm. somehow something's going to kick back and you're going to get your up and comings so either yep. i can give it to you or somebody else, but hey it's like that's just how life is you know <laughs> now and forever 100% or if you have a story of mercy and grace and kindness and healing, then that should be the ultimate point you're ultimately trying to get to. Not dropping mm-hmm. bombs on people, uh, whether you know literal or metaphorical and all the rest of it. So yeah, look, it is, um, you know, I, when, when I first got into Christianity, I don't know why one of the first phrases I remember, I was in a group that we memorized Bible passages. It was a group called the mm-hmm. Navigators or the kind, I was mm-hmm. kind of the Navigators. The person that was around my life a little older than me was in the Navigators. And they had these this process of memorizing Bible verses. So you would say a Bible reference and then quote the verse and then say the Bible reference. And it was just a way to memorize stuff. They were big into that. And the one that I remember knowing the longest, even before, I didn't know what John 3.16 was when I was a teenager. Like I saw it on mm-hmm. signs at football games. Literally no mm-hmm. reference. <laughs> I mean, a book of the Bible in two-letter reference. Right. And then it's a, a, number, a numerical system. Uh, I mean, I was barely understanding zip codes at the time, (laughs) but this passage, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Like that was Mm -hmm. in first and everything else has to revolve around that notion. I've realized now and Mm -hmm. kindness is the core attribute of change. If you, if you see repentance as a good thing, like people figuring Mm -hmm. out how to stop self-harming and harming others. Kindness is what gets you there. Mm-hmm. I know people think it's a lot of other things, and I'm with a lot of activists that we're challenging each other on what is the thing that is most crucial. Mm-hmm. You know? But I tend to think I, there's three things that are going to remain: in faith, hope, and love, or, or is it? Mm-hmm. And that's and kindness yeah. is sort of in there. I'd swap one of those words out for kindness any day. It's it's interesting because I'm thinking as you were talking, something in my brain. Uh, sparked a memory that I had from my days when I, when I moved into the evangelicalism in my early twenties. And the thing that I'm thinking is, is, as I said earlier, the mental machinations that it takes to maintain a faith in the psychopathic God, right. In this, in this God that is built on fury and, you know, hell and all of that. And so there, there are these, there, there then becomes these subsystems of belief and mm-hmm. and behavior that you have to maintain and you have to make sense of somehow. And so the the tiny little church that I went to in, in New York City at the time was maybe 20 people. Um, it was very small and everybody was all up in everybody's business, right? Because in a church that small, everybody knows everybody. Everybody knows who's with who and all of the things. And the, the pastor, uh, pastor's wife, 
um, was this beautiful woman. And I looked up to her so much for guidance and, and um, yeah, just, just all the things. And they had a very strict belief that God would tell you who your spouse was going to be. And so there were a lot of people in this small little community that were getting married because God had said, you are to marry this person, right? And there was a rupture in one of those relationships. And this was a highly visible relationship in the leadership of the church um, where the guy had, they had made the move to get engaged. And then one of them said, nope, I think I heard God wrong, or I don't have the guts to go through with this or whatever. And it was a huge thing. So in speaking about this with, with the pastor's wife, I, I was asking questions about how does this work? And she says, well, you see, God has plan A and God will always have a plan A. So God has a plan A husband for you. And I said, well, what happens if my plan A husband decides that he's not up for the plan? And she goes, well, then God gives you plan B. And I said, so I get stuck with a plan B husband because my plan A husband wasn't up for it. I'm like, how is that fair? That makes no sense, right? And and so the, the again, like the mental machinations of this subsystem of a God who has things planned out and is you know going to harm you and and plan poor plan A husband who's not down with the program. God knows what's going to happen to him um be, when God gets a hold of him, right? For not going with the plan. Like it's it's just so Kay. messed up. Carrie, all of, all of us are Plan B husbands. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, that's funny. Uh, hey, uh, thank you to both of you for your podcast, for your collaboration, for your working together, for your own for your own goodness and um, life in in the world. Um, Jim already uh, has gone on to on to his podcast stream and followed your podcast so uh others obviously can That's do that amazing. too where they search for such things right they can search for mm -hmm. uh god is not an yep. asshole spotify Apple. Right. i think in order to find it you do have to type in the the asterisk so a yeah uh yeah. or no yeah is it asterisk s s s two two asterisks yes Oh, it's and, okay. Yeah, that's it's cool. on iHeartRadio. Radio, um, uh, a bunch of them. I can't even think of them all right yeah. now. And and how how often are you putting things out? Should how 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 often do they we, come out, and how long are they? Every Friday, and they're usually about a half an hour to forty minutes, depending on how long the episode is. Sometimes we'll split an episode into two so that it's not really long, but they come out every Friday. Uh, we we, we do the same, but our our. Uh, perception of what's too long is three hours. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like this one's already going an hour and six minutes, and you know, oh, that's 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 how how we. When I was a kid, that was church. When I was a Amen. kid, I'm with, I'm with you. That's that's how I, that's how I want my podcast too. I like them. Sometimes I listen to a podcast and they're real short. I'm like, oh, now I got to get my phone out and move to another one. Um, I know, right? You know, I, want them, I want them a little bit longer. Um, okay, so so they come out. Uh, on or about Tuesdays? No, they come Fridays. out on Fridays. On yeah. Fridays. Come out. Okay. Yeah. Come out on Fridays. Mm -hmm. Good, because our crowd, especially the people in the chat, they like a little consistency. Uh, they don't oh, yeah. get we it from us, but they do like it <laughs> when they can get it. <laughs> uh, they, they, they like to... Uh, like to be able to plan accordingly around it, as do I, especially with podcasts, man, when there's somebody's like, Hey, a podcast comes out on the week and it's on this day. And then I've, you know, I'm queuing it up for a walk or for some exercise or something. And it's not, yeah. like, well, boy, yeah. do I feel indignant. Yeah. Like, I you, know. owe me, like you owe me something. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, anything else people should know about what you're up to, what you're doing or, um, 
I don't know how to come swim in the swimming pool at your house, David, when it's when it stops raining or any of this. Yeah, you're welcome. Because uh, the pool doesn't get a lot of use since our kids grew up. So <laughs> if I'd known man. you had a pool, I would be there in a heartbeat. Yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah. <laughs> you got a pool in your backyard. Nobody's swimming in. Uh, uh, love it. I would oh, love okay. to just invite people to connect with me at my website at kerryconnelly.com and also on Instagram at kerry.connelly.com. I would love to connect with people. She's serious about that, friends. So uh, go ahead and look mm -hmm. her up. Uh, K E R R Y uh, C O N N E L L Y. Um, and I'm of, at lots of repeats. David. I'm at davidinmore.com. The if oh. you get the if you don't use the middle initial, I uh, I don't know where it'll take you. It's, Is that right? It's, yeah, yeah. Davidinmore.com. Uh, okay. All You're right. welcome, I changed, Alex. I changed it on the screen just right now, so you could uh, so we finally get it right, right, at the, uh, right at the end. I don't know who Reverend David Moore is, but I do know Reverend David N. Moore. Um, uh, well, thanks, thanks to both of you. Congratulations on the podcast, and and keep up the all the all the goodness in the world. Thanks for introducing us, Doug. Yeah, yes, Doug. You're, you are welcome. You get you're a lot welcome. of credit. Yeah. And Merry Christmas. Yeah, yes. it's all, it's all. Merry, Merry Christmas. And Merry Christmas. Stop killing each other. Uh, yeah, that'd okay. be good. All right. Bye, everybody. Ah.